This is your invitation to a masterclass in engineering and design. Your ticket to go from zero to 60 with the Lexus Performance Line. A feeling this dynamic is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the exhilaration of the Lexus Performance Line and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Welcome back to the Durst Show. This may sound like, you know, gossip with Taylor Swift and, 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 and who knows what else, but it's not. It goes to the essence of the rule of law. Why don't we know conclusively whether or not uh, Fannie Willis and Nathan Wade have had an, uh, a romantic relationship? We are entitled to know that. We, the public, we who have to sit in judgment over our system of, of justice. Uh, this is a nation of laws, and we have the right to know whether or not Fannie Willis selected as her special prosecutor uh, a man with whom she's having not only a romantic relationship, but a financial relationship. It affects the case. It affects whether the case should have been brought at all in the first place, whether or not this was simply an attempt to convey funds from one lover to another. We don't know the answer. Maybe there's a totally innocent explanation. I can't see how there could be an innocent explanation based on the um, receipts that we've seen, unless they're forged. But if they're real receipts, there are, it seems to me, only two alternatives. And that is that the man who has received $650,000 in legal fees from the district of, of uh, district attorney has, for no good reason, paid for thousands of dollars worth of vacation trips and cruises for the person who arranged for him to get the money. That's even more serious. Or there's no relation, or there is a relationship, and, you know, it's just, uh, you know, lovers going on a cruise uh, uh, together. We also need to know the timeline. And uh, we need to know, I don't want to know the details of the relationship. I just want to know what the nature of the relationship is. And I want to know whether or not um, uh, these trips have been paid for, what the source of the funds was. Um, this is a potentially criminal issue. I mean, the district attorney is not allowed to uh, uh, accept kickbacks uh, from somebody who she gave $600,000 worth of business to. Again, I'm not alleging that she accepted kickbacks, but at this point, she has a lot of explaining to do, and her silence is not acceptable. Now, there's been an attempt to try to suppress the truth here. Uh, for example, we know that, uh, uh, that uh, Nathan Wade has resolved at least one of the outstanding issues in the divorce case, presumably in order not to have to testify. All right, he has, he has the right to do that. But uh, in the end, they have to testify. And fortunately, fortunately for the public, um, a judge in the actual case, the the criminal case against the was 19, now it's down to what, 12 to 13, 
some have pleaded guilty. In that case, uh, has called for an evidentiary hearing. I think it's on February 15th, and by Friday of this week, there has to be some document filed. Um, but this can't be buried. Um, this can't just be part of a divorce case. This is not about his divorce. It's about his relationship with the district attorney, and more, it's about the district attorney's relationships. And um, there's no way around getting this information. You can't claim privacy about issues of this kind. Uh, these are issues that go to the core of our of our system of of justice. Here you have an elected official bound, and also a lawyer, bound by rules of ethics, uh, both uh, legal ethics and also state legislative uh, ethics. One, because she's a, an elected office holder and a very high office holder, the district attorney is a very, very powerful position indeed in the legal system. The district attorney is more important than the judge in so many ways. The judge is on the receiving end. The judge can decide how cases should be resolved, but it's the prosecutor who brings the cases, who has the ultimate discretion to decide which cases to bring, what to charge, all of those things. It's a very, very high position. And um, and then she appoints a special prosecutor. Why? Why her office couldn't handle this? We, we'd have to hear. And why did she pick him? He doesn't have experience in, in RICO case, a complex case. Um, yeah, I know. I've litigated a lot of RICO cases primarily on appeal, but, you know, I know the RICO laws very well. I testified in an expert as an expert witness on RICO laws in Russia <laughs> some some years ago. So I know what I'm talking about when it comes to, to RICO laws. And this guy, Nathan Wade, if you look at his resume and his background, he's not the guy who seems most qualified to serve as a special prosecutor in lieu of the ordinary prosecutors in the case. Now, apparently there's another special prosecutor who is more qualified, getting paid less money. Again, we need to know everything. There can be no secrets here. And I hope that uh, the judges uh, in this case, particularly the, the trial judge and other judges who were involved, uh, do the right thing. And the right thing is sunlight is the best disinfectant. Um, let it all be made public. Again, we don't need the details of any potential romantic encounter. That can be kept private. What we need to know is, was there, is there a romantic relationship? If so, when did it begin? What did it entail? Who paid for these uh, uh, trips? Who was on these uh, trips? Uh, were these business trips? Were they just romantic trips? The ones that our cruises don't seem like they uh, involve uh, business. Um, and, and, and why are people hiding this? I understand you don't want your romantic life to be uh, made public, but you're the district attorney. You're prosecuting the most important case in your life. You're prosecuting one of the most important cases in the history of Georgia, certainly Fulton County. And you're prosecuting one of the most important cases in American history, the poll show that if Donald Trump were to be convicted 
of this and other cases, and the two major cases are the Fulton County case and the District of Columbia case, if he were to be convicted of either of those two cases, it could affect the outcome of the election. The polls show that independent voters who can easily turn six or seven states um, might be influenced by the fact that there was a conviction, especially if they perceive it as a fair conviction. Now, can this prosecution be resurrected? Can it be turned into a fair prosecution? The anti-Trump people are saying that it's all you can do with Trump's guilt. He's guilty as hell. It's nothing to do with it. It just has to do with, you know, private matters. No, 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 no. A fair trial requires a fair prosecution, and it involves full disclosure of why decisions may have been made and um, what the timing of things is. Um, can he show prejudice? Can Trump show prejudice? I don't know. Don't know enough about the facts. We know that a handful of the defendants have already pleaded guilty, and they may very well seek to undo those guilty pleas if and when um, more information is uncovered. I can tell you, if I were a defense attorney in this case, I would be a Rottweiler. I would not be letting go. Uh, I would be demanding everything at every moment and not allowing the case to go forward without full and complete disclosure. And remember, too, that issues of recusal and disqualification are often subject to mandamus. That is, they can be essentially appealed to a court of appeals before the trial. For example, if a trial judge rules that although there was a romantic relationship and payments of money, there is no reason to recuse or disqualify either the elected DA or the paid special prosecutor, that generally, again, I'm not an expert on the law of Georgia, but I am an expert on laws generally, and in general, that kind of a ruling can be immediately appealed before the trial because you're entitled to an unbiased prosecution and an unbiased prosecutor in, at the trial. You don't have to wait for there to be a conviction in order to appeal. Some states, some jurisdictions might say, no, you do have to wait. But let's see what the law is in, in Georgia, particularly in a case like this. And this is a fairly unprecedented case. Now, there's a, another case in Georgia where the same prosecutor has been recused because of I think attending a fundraiser or something, uh, some some political uh, shenanigan. Uh, this is much more serious than that. Um, Six hundred and fifty thousand dollars—a lot of money for a local lawyer in Fulton County. Um, and 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 uh, uh, I think the public is entitled to see his bills and his time uh, charts. And and we know how much. His hourly fee is more than the other more qualified prosecutor, but we don't know how that hourly fee resulted in payments of $650,000. I mean, you do the arithmetic, you see how many hours are involved. There may be other people involved in addition to him, you know, associates, paralegals. Again, no secrets when you're prosecuting the former president of the United States. 
when you're prosecuting the leading candidate to try to unseat the current president of the United States, when you're prosecuting the man who may well be the future president of the United States, especially when you're prosecuting him in a state court where he couldn't pardon himself or get himself pardoned or drop the prosecution, um, and when everything may turn on prosecutorial discretion involving timing and what evidence is admissible and what charges are made, um, whether it could be amended to charge insurrection, which would give some more credibility to 14th Amendment attempts to try to take them off the ballot of certain states. These are all critical prosecutorial decisions, and we have the right to get to the bottom of this. We have the right to know this is not just prurient curiosity. This is the rule of law. This is the rule of integrity and decency and democracy. And so I'm hoping that by next week, by my show next week, that on Friday, uh, we'll get some more information. Uh, the evidence seems to suggest, again, don't want to jump to conclusions and get ahead of myself, but the evidence seems to suggest that there was a personal romantic relationship when it began, what its nature is, whether it still exists, what the relationship is between the romantic relationship and the appointment of special prosecutor, the financial issues, the amount of uh, payments that were made wheelie, we may only have a, a fraction of the trips that they went on uh, or uh, other payments that may have been made directly or indirectly. We just don't know what we don't know. We know enough to know there's probable cause to believe that there is a personal relationship and a financial relationship that exists between the elected district attorney and the man she selected, apparently not based on his qualifications alone to be the special prosecutor. There's probable cause to come to those conclusions based on the evidence that I've seen. And as you know, I'm defense oriented. I always look at cases in the light most favorable to the defendant. I have to tell you, if I were Phony Willis's defense attorney or, or Nathan Wade's defense attorney, I don't know what my defense would would be. Um, I have to know the facts, obviously. Um, but if the facts pointed to a romantic relationship and payment by the man who received the $650,000 to the woman who authorized the payment, there is a problem here. There is a potential serious criminal criminal felony. Yes, criminal felony. If it turns out that there were kickbacks, if it turns out, again, I'm not saying there are, but I'm saying as an expert in criminal law, if the woman who picked the special prosecutor and paid him hundreds of thousands of dollars, then got from the same person financial benefits, there's a word for that. And it's called felony. And there's a consequence to that. It's called imprisonment. It's called impeachment. I have represented people who have been accused of giving and getting kickbacks. And so I know of which I speak. So these are serious matters. You wouldn't know that from listening to CNN or 
reading the New York Times or listening to MSNBC because they're so anxious to see a conviction of Donald Trump and they want to make sure that the conviction is 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 upheld not only by the courts of law but in the court of public opinion. Well, you know, I have no stake in that. If 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 they're guilty, they should be convicted. But they should be convicted fairly. They should be convicted based on prosecutorial decisions that are untainted by romance and 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 money. When you're going after the former and potentially future president, you have to be Caesar's wife. You have to be beyond any possibility of reproach. I mean, this is a gift given to Donald Trump and the other defendants unnecessarily by this prosecutor. How stupid can she be? I mean, my God, forget about the ethics for a minute. Forget about the law for a minute. Just in terms of common sense, stupidity. This is the most visible case perhaps in the world today terms of criminal prosecutions, this in the D.C. case, one of the most visible cases in the world today, and you pick to be the prosecutor, a man with whom you are having a private personal relationship and who has paid you for trips? How stupid can you be? My God. She's been elected by the people of Fulton County, and this is the way she serves her duty. So at the very least, she is guilty of incredible stupidity, incredible bad judgment. At the very most, she's guilty of a serious felony, that is of um, um, accepting uh, kickbacks. And, 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 and also it would be a crime if she gave him the $650,000 in the anticipation or knowledge that he would be kicking back some of that money to her. So the options range from terminal stupidity to very serious criminality. I can't think of any option that's clean. Any option that says, whoops, sorry, we shouldn't have raised this at all. I, I will publicly apologize if full disclosure, and I'd have to know it was absolutely full disclosure, uh, resulted in oh these 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 um, these vouchers were for a different person by the same name uh, oh there are a lot of uh, there are a lot of Nathan Wades and 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 Forty Willis's in 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 uh, Fulton County they were just wrong person case of mistaken identification uh, yeah I apologize I'm I'm wrong about that but uh, I don't think I'm wrong about that so let's wait and hear uh, we're going to stay on this um, you know it's not my usual uh, focus, uh, scandal. Um, but this is beyond scandal. This goes to the essence of our judicial system. It goes to the essence of the rule of law. It must be taken seriously. And there must be disclosure. I will not rest. You should not rest until we know everything we need to know that's relevant to making a decision about whether this prosecutor, the elected prosecutor and the appointed prosecutor, are appropriately involved in this case. The options, the court can disqualify uh, her, and the court can disqualify her whole office, and the court can disqualify him as well. 
And if they do, you know, this case goes back to the drawing board. And um, I don't think we're going to see a prosecution before the election if that happens. And so that's why it's so important. And that's why it has to be open, transparent, and above board. No more secrets. What I'm surprised is that Forney Willis hasn't resigned. Um, if the facts are true, and she may end up resigning, and 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 why why Nathan Wade is not has not recused himself from continuing on the case because I think that's going to be the result in the end. And if she recuses herself, maybe her office can continue to prosecute the case, although motions will be made. The lawyer who has been bringing all these cases is very aggressive. And, um, and thank God for that. Uh, that's the right role for a lawyer to play. Interests have to be the interests of your client first. But in this case, the interests of the client and the interests of the public uh, coincide because we're all interested in fair justice. Justice, justice must you seek, says the Bible. Why does God repeat the word justice twice? Because justice has at least two elements. The first is substantive justice, is the defendant guilty, but the second is procedural justice. And as Felix Frankfurt, a great justice of the Supreme Court, once said, the history of American liberty is the history of procedure and process. And that's why this is so important. So stay tuned. We're not letting go of this. We're going to come back to this as long as there are secrets. Okay. Now we have some good letters. So this is an interesting letter. Howdy. Longtime listener and recent graduate of Southern University Law Center. I just wanted to point out that Alexander Hamilton was not a natural-born American citizen. That's correct. Absolutely not. He was born in an island in the Caribbean um, and so would not have been able to assume the U.S. presidency. Dead wrong. You may have gone to Southern University Law Center, but you haven't read the Constitution. Let's remember not a single one of the early presidents were born in the United States. Washington wasn't born in the United States. He was born in a British colony called Virginia. Jefferson wasn't born in the United States. Adams wasn't born in the United States. Adams was born in a British colony called Massachusetts. And so the Constitution took that into account and said that you have to be a natural-born citizen, but if you were any kind of a citizen, any kind of a United States citizen, on the day the Constitution was ratified, you can run for president. So great inflation. I don't believe in it. B minus, C plus. Question's a good one, but you haven't done the research. When you do the research, you'll know that Hamilton could have run for president and uh, he would have been completely qualified. Remember, he has to also live in the country 15 years. He satisfied that. There are a variety of others. He was over 35 but he could have run for president and he would have been a great president. Unfortunately, he was a schmuck for getting involved in a duel with Aaron Burr, but he was also the most brilliant schmuck among the, the, the founders uh, or the most brilliant person among the founders. He may have been the only schmuck uh, among the founders, but boy, was he a schmuck to fight a duel after his dear son, Peter, 
fought a duel just two years earlier and was killed. You'd think you'd learn from that. You don't solve problems by dueling, particularly with somebody like Aaron Burr, who was a highly regarded soldier in the Revolutionary War. Okay. Now we get a little bit to Mayorkas. Um, still haven't gotten a final vote from Congress, and I have an article in today's The Hill in which I say that um, any uh, Republican who voted against the impeachment of Trump is honor-bound and principle-bound to vote against the impeachment of Mayorkas. Okay. I agree that mere failure to enforce the law is not an impeachable offense. However, Mayorkas is also guilty of accepting bribes. I've never heard that. What's your evidence? It's not quoted in the charges. It's not one of the things that's alleged in the articles of impeachment. I thought that bribery was an impeachable offense. How am I wrong? You're not wrong. What you're wrong about is that he's been charged with uh, accepting uh, bribes. I've never heard that before. Who knows? Maybe it's true. Maybe it's not. Alan, doesn't the appointment of the head of the Department of Homeland Security require approval of the Senate? Yes, all cabinet positions have to be approved by the Senate. If the Senate can give approval, can't the Senate withdraw their approval? It's interesting because that was the issue in some respects. It wasn't exactly the issue um, in uh, the impeachment of Andrew Johnson um, back in the 1860s. Um, and the answer is no. Uh, once you've confirmed somebody, the Senate can't unconfirm you. You can only be removed by impeachment. Is an impeachment a political tool to remove a fire and incompetent department head? No, it's not. Um, uh, you can't do that. The president can fire an incompetent uh, a department head uh, or cabinet member, but the Senate can't do that. Um, okay. Why did they make the impeachment clause so wordy and repetitive? Treason and bribery are high crime, so there's no need to specify them. Yeah, I think you do need to specify them, although they're not the only high crimes, obviously. Extortion is a, is a high crime. Um, bribery, well, that's, that's listed. listed. Uh, misdemeanors are low crimes. So high crimes and low crimes include all crimes. No. Why didn't it just say crimes? Every crime falls under high crimes or low crimes. No, that's a misunderstanding of what high crimes means. According to Hamilton, high crimes means crimes that involve governance. So, for example, Bill Clinton committed a crime, uh, according at least to the impeachment papers, um, that is perjury. But what he lied about was a sordid sexual affair in the Oval Office. That's a low crime. So, the distinction is not between felonies and misdemeanors. In fact, they're common law. There was such a thing as a capital misdemeanor, a capital misdemeanor, a misdemeanor that carried the death penalty. There was even a felony and a misdemeanor generally is a felony attainted your blood and it went on for generations in your family. It was a misdemeanor, it did not. But under common law, according to Blackstone, you could have a capital misdemeanor. Look, I think the framers of the Constitution could have been a little clearer and could have listed the crimes that were uh, subject to impeachment, but they didn't. But we know that non-crimes, at least I know that, half of, I would say 90% of American law professors disagree with me, and every single one of them is wrong. Um, uh, in order to be impeached, there has to be some criminal-type behavior. My research shows that. Um, the framers believe that. 
Uh, and if the shoe were on the other foot, the professors would believe it. But because it was directed against Donald Trump, uh, the professors all got together and said, no, you don't need criminal behavior. It's enough to have abuse of power. Nonsense. You're all wrong. Uh, I'm right. And uh, history will, will prove that. And um, precedent has proved that. Allen may be correct about impeachment, but he's wrong about the difficulty of amending the Constitution. All it takes is a majority vote of the Supreme Court. Very clever. Very clever. You're absolutely right about that. Roe versus Wade was a majority vote. Uh, I think it was 72 vote uh, amending the Constitution. The Constitution had nothing to say whatsoever about uh, abortion. Uh, abortion was criminal at the time of the, the framing and nothing changed. And so I've always thought Roe versus Wade was wrong, but I also thought it shouldn't have been overruled um, after 50 years. People can disagree about that, but you make a good point about amending the Constitution. Alan, please keep doing exactly what you do, exactly the way you do it. Sure, there'll be critics and naysayers. Who cares? Just hold your head high and smile. After all, it's very difficult to remain humble when you're as charming, as good-looking as you and me. I don't know about you, but I don't make it on my charm and my looks. I've often been told I have a face for radio. Uh, thanks for having this discussion. I wrongly assume you could impeach a cabinet member uh, for gross incompetence. And, and that was an argument made during the, the framing of the Constitution. But clearly that isn't the case. I reluctantly must agree with you. And the final question was, weren't you at the Constitutional Convention? So you can testify exactly what they meant. Look, I'm old. I'm 85. But no, I wasn't at the Constitutional Convention. I wish I had been at the Constitutional Convention, but I was busy that day. I was going to a Red Sox game, so I couldn't make the Constitutional Convention. No, I wasn't at the Constitutional Convention, and I wasn't there when they passed the 14th Amendment, but um, I was in a lot of places. That made uh, history. I was in on the Supreme Court as a law clerk when John F. Kennedy uh, was killed, and I was the one who notified the justices uh, of his assassination. But no, no. Unfortunately, it was not at the Constitutional Convention. All right. Uh, see you next week. We'll have a lot to report on next week because I think we're going to see the Fawny Willis matter come a lot closer. We're going to see issues relating um, to um, to the Middle East, uh, probably some more decisions involving the UN Relief Agency, which is a disgrace and ought to be dismantled and abolished. See you next week. This is your invitation to the intersection of versatility and design. The kind of experience you can only find in a Lexus SUV. A feeling this empowering is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the versatility of the complete line of Lexus SUVs and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.